0: What's up, guys, and welcome back to the Last Take Sports Podcast.
1: And we are pleased to announce we have another special guest joining us today on the podcast. Longtime senior sports producer from Fox 2 News in Detroit, Greg Kanner. Thank you for joining us today.
2: Pleasure to be with you guys. How's it going today? We're doing good. We're doing good. Yeah. Good.
0: So, uh, you currently are a senior sports producer for Fox so can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into the business?
2: Yeah, so you know I've been a huge sports fan uh, my entire life, and uh, originally kind of wanted to be a sports caster uh, on TV. Um, that was a little difficult growing up when I was uh, afraid to give speeches in front of twenty people in school. So that I would uh, you know hide behind my papers and stuff. So, um, but as I as uh, I started to. Uh, You know, take classes and stuff in high school. And then in college, I got an internship at, um, uh, and I went to college at University of Maryland, and I'm from uh, the Washington, D.C. area. And so uh, while I was at Maryland, I I interned at the Fox Station in Washington, D.C. And that's where everything clicked for me to Because uh, I was able to do a lot of producer oriented things, you know, writing the scripts, picking highlights for the nightly stuff, you know, going out to some games, interviewing people, um, and being able to do all the creative stuff and not necessarily be the center of attention and have all the lights on me, which is actually perfect for me since I'm not a big, uh, you know, attention guy. So loved it and did uh, and interned there for a couple of years and then got a job there um, while I was still in college, a part time job, and then. Turned into you know uh, a mostly full time job, and then I came here twenty one years ago uh, with Dan Miller, who's the the sportscaster, obviously at uh, Fox Two, and uh, he I worked with him in Washington D.C. as well, and so he brought me here, and twenty one years later I'm still doing it here, and it's been great. Yeah, so you are working behind the camera.
3: So you mentioned how you were a little afraid to go in front of the camera when you're a little younger. So is that why you really pursued the career back behind the camera instead of in front being like an anchor?
2: Yeah, I mean, I've definitely gotten a lot better at public speaking, you know, as I've gotten older and all that. But when I was younger, I would definitely get very nervous. and, And I was, you know, now I know it's not it wasn't really for me to be on camera. Um, you know, I've done little things on camera, hosting some, some internet-related stuff. We did a fantasy football show for a few years where I kind of did that um, and all that. And it's fun at times, but not not having to put on makeup, not having to wear a suit, not having to you know, have all the, you know, the lights on I me. Mean, that's perfect. I love being able to be the little voice in the ear of the person who's uh, on TV and, uh, you know, and I've got, I've worked with, uh, you know, one of the best, so it's a, it's a great relationship. And I feel like I can have more control behind the scenes too, because I can put together, you know, uh, uh, you know, shows and music pieces and all sorts of stuff and kind of build the whole show together. It's, it's a lot of fun. You said you worked with, like, great colleagues. So who are some of the people that you work with? Well, let's see. I mean, uh, so you know Gus Johnson? Yeah. I, work, yeah. I worked, actually, with Gus Johnson in Washington, D.C. when I first started. Uh, he, I actually was a spotter for him when he did his, one of his first ever football play-by-play jobs at Bowie State University. Which is in Maryland, uh, and he was starting to do get into doing play by play because he was a weekend sports anchor and reporter at uh, at Channel Five in DC, and I got to work with him there, uh, which was fantastic. Um, and I can you know I can say I saw him; and his, he was starting to get you know huge, and now obviously he's you know a great voice and has been successful for a long time. Um, here, you know, I've worked with uh, Dan Miller. And uh, Woody Woodruff and Jennifer Hammond, you yeah, know, it's been our team for 20 plus years. Uh, so, you know, the, they've been great to work with as long as as well as some of the other people that we've, um, you know, that, that we've had at, uh, at, you know, Fox Two, um, you know, the news people I've worked with uh, on occasions and stuff like that,
0: too. So we're all kind of a big family there since I've been there so long. I could definitely say that Gus Johnson's one of my favorite announcers, so how cool is it to like say you like actually worked with him when he was still like?
2: It's very cool, yeah, when I saw him get you know he he had left uh, uh our station to go work for msG in New York um, I had worked maybe about a year year and a half with him um. Before he left, and I remember him going up there and then, you know, skyrocketing and all the, you know, being with CBS and with Fox and now, you know, doing a lot of the Big Ten games and everything like that. It's been, it's, uh, it's very cool because I could see, you know, I could say, yeah, you know, I remember him when it makes me feel old, but, uh, but I definitely, uh, it's definitely one of the cool things for sure. Why don't you tell us
1: like exactly behind the scenes being a sports producer?
2: Well, uh, normally, outside of what's you know currently going on, I would uh, um, I ha- pretty much organize uh, put together the rundowns of what we're going to show on the five o'clock, six o'clock, ten o'clock, eleven o'clock news on a daily basis, and um, and then our half hour sports shows on Sunday night uh, from eleven to eleven thirty, and uh, and. Basically, work with the anchors, write the scripts, um, you know, kind of pick out sound bites, edit video, and pretty much time it all out, make sure it's good to go.
1: Yeah, you mentioned five five o'clock, six o'clock, ten o'clock, eleven o'clock. I assume you have such a flexible schedule, and most people are kind of just on a schedule, basic or currently. Can you tell us a little bit what that's like?
2: Yeah, well, my schedule is, it is pretty much, you know, the day starts about 1.30 in the afternoon and goes till 11.30 when the news is over, pretty much uh, Sunday through Thursday are my days uh, that I work. So, um, yeah, so, you know, I go in and start working on the 5 o'clock and the 6 o'clock and then, you know, then looking ahead to the to the 10 and the 11. And, you know, we have varying amounts of time per, per newscast. You know, we'll get maybe two and a half to three and a half minutes. On the early shows, well, about two and a half minutes at ten, and about four and a half or so at eleven o'clock to do stuff, and then uh, and then you know obviously the more the most fun shows are the half hour shows. I do uh, you know the the Sunday night show. Um, I also do the hour Lions pregame show that's on ten to eleven a.m. during football season. I've been doing that for a long time. That's one of my favorite shows. The longer shows are more fun because it's harder hard to imagine sometimes but it's harder to do for me to do a four minute show than it is to do a half an hour show because you're trying to fit little things in you can't get in depth you can't do a lot of things for a half hour show you know we have our roundtable guests we have we have lots of discussion we can we can do longer form uh, you know interviews and stuff like that you know these days you know I mean obviously doing a podcast and everything else you know people are used to kind of sitting and hearing from somebody for you know, five, 10, 15, 20, 25 plus minutes. And we're having to pull on a regular basis, grab a 30 second soundbite, you know, to to put into a a show that's three minutes long. And you can, you know, sometimes you want to give more, sometimes you want to, you know, have them to, 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 to appeal to more people. You try to want them to have a lot of things to say. So, um, so that's why we use a lot of digital. We use a lot of web stuff. We we put we'll put a ha- uh, thirty seconds on the news, and then we'll say, "Hey, go to the website. You can see the whole interview, or you can see the whole post game." You know, we'll get Red Wings or Pistons when they're playing. Get in the locker room, do a whole bunch of interviews with them, and then we only use about you know forty five seconds or a minute on the show. But then we'll put the whole, you know, 20 minutes of it online and then we'll tweet it out or, or you know, we'll send it out. And that way people who are really hardcore and want to, you know, watch the entire postgame uh, interviews,
0: they can go online and see it. As we all know, uh, it's been hard to produce your show probably with this whole coronavirus pandemic. So how have you been choosing to produce your show and how difficult has it been to produce with little to no sports going on?
2: It's very challenging. I actually thought it would be harder, though, when this first happened, because as soon as they shut down every all the sports, we were thinking, oh, you know, okay, what are we going to show? What we're going to do? How are we going to fill a half hour show on Sunday nights? And it's honestly, it's I'm very proud of my team because they've done a great job of. of Compiling content, but you know you just have to adjust. You have to, you know, go with what everybody's doing now, which is you know Zoom is is the big thing. You know, we have reporters Jennifer Hammond, Woody Woodruff. They will they will contact athletes or uh, stories that they think are interesting, and former athletes or analysts, and set up a Zoom interview do do a story send me the files and then i have you know editing programs at home and i edit the story together and i you know i, I do all my work from home so i have a connection to our server from here And I put in our rundown. I put in the things we're doing. And, you know, it's a little different. I mean, we'll do some more stuff like, you know, anniversaries. Hey, this 20 years ago today, this happened in sports. And it's something, you know, like yesterday, um, you know, we did something from 1998 where uh, there's a fight in in the NBA and uh, Jeff Van Gundy, the coach, was uh, hugging the legs of... Alonso, morning, you know, and you guys being, you know, youngsters may not, you know, remember that. That's clear in my memory. is one of the classic hilarious moments of a tiny little. You know, balding coach holding on to the legs of a seven foot you know player in the middle of a brawl, um, and so we so we'll look on and we'll see stuff like that. And we'll say, okay, that's interesting. Let's go back to that. Or obviously local things. You know, when the wings or pistons or somebody you know did something big. Casey Mize threw the no hitter you know a year ago this week. So we got to show that again. So that kind of supplements the other things we're doing where we're getting in touch with you know uh, you know. I think today we're doing uh, Isaiah Livers. Sorry for you. Michigan State guys uh but uh Isaiah Livers uh who you know checking in on him and his situation Jennifer Hammond got to talk to him we put something like that together that's going to air I think later today or tomorrow because I edited that yesterday so that's going to be ready to go so we got lots of stuff like that but it's definitely weird of me doing it and having to look you know watch the show on a 40 second delay on my tv and hope that it's everything's going well and I'm in contact with the director you know on a on a a top-line messaging system from the station. Like, are we okay? Are we on time? You know, and so, we, yeah. It's...
1: Yeah, I. you mentioned the 1989 sports and just previous sports. This is kind of what we've been doing, just watching old sports that we might not, well, we for sure don't know of. And honestly, it's, it's kind of as good as watching live sports because I get <laughs> to know more history.
2: Yeah, well, if it's new to you, it's fantastic. And if it's something that, you know, that you can remember... You know, I mean, obviously, I'm I'm from DC, so I'm a Washington sports fan. And you know, last Sunday they showed the Capitals winning the Stanley Cup on on NBC. You know, from a few a year, couple years ago. And yes, I've seen it a gazillion times, but I was still watching it and you know, getting all giddy because you know, I waited a long time for that. So, so it's it's cool, I think, to to look back and, and remind people. Plus, the you know, like the Michael Jordan documentary and all that stuff coming out. You know, I get to show my son. You know, a you know, you've heard of Michael Jordan, but look at this three minutes of highlights and tell me he wasn't the greatest, you know?
3: Yeah, and you talked about the Capitals winning the Stanley Cup. So we understand you're a huge Capitals fan. So what was that moment like watching the Caps win the Stanley Cup? Well, I have to give you a brief,
2: brief history of what it's like to be a Capitals fan. So I always said before, 2018, that being a Capitals fan was worse than being a Lions fan. And I'll tell you why. Because I know, it's. I've been here a long time, I feel for the Lions fans, I I get it, I understand it's been brutal and tough and miserable, and and it's on par, but think if the Lions were like really good and always won their division, and always looked like they were going to go to the Super Bowl and then would just choke and lose, and lose to the same, like they lost to the Packers every single year, and the Packers had a guy who you just hated to you know, like Sidney Crosby right? whatever, hated him. And, and so – and then I was a kid. You know, when I was 12, I went to a Game 7 in, in 1987, the Capitals and Islanders. It went four overtimes, and I was there, 12 years old. They lost, heartbroken. You know, the, I went to uh, – in 1996, I, I, I took a date to a Capitals-Penguins playoff game. It went four-plus overtimes, almost went to a fifth overtime. We lost. Granted, that was, I think, the last date we went on, because when she saw me at my worst of, of, you know, Capitals misery, I think she was like, yeah, I don't need this guy. Um, You know, uh, triple overtime, I was at a Capitals lightning game. They lost, you know, and lost the series. The the year after year, the 3-1 leads blown, all that stuff leading up to... 2018 where I actually took like a back I I even backed off emotionally I said I can't let them hurt me anymore so the first couple rounds I was like you know it's like I I can't get my hopes up I didn't like watch parts of the game because it was just too much and then once they beat Pittsburgh it was like and then to go on the run and to beat Tampa and to win I mean I'm not ashamed to say I was at the station putting the highlight on weeping like i cry i was crying just like finally because it's my number one team my number one sport you wait so long and so it's like i want that for now lions fans you know i thought cubs fans went through that cubs finally got it you know those type of teams that finally won like blues fans last year got to do that it's the it's the absolute best and, and nothing will ever take that away I'm, I'm sure that moment was surreal being
3: how long it was uh, since the Cavs last won the Stanley Cup before that which is never <laughs> yeah
2: exactly never, they never they never won a game in the finals since the, the red wings swept them out of there in 98 so you know it was uh, yeah it was fantastic green i went to the parade and it was just yeah nothing will ever top that like no other thing ever will top that sports moment for me yeah and
3: I, I just can't stop laughing at the part where you took the date to the quadruple overtime. I just can't imagine that was probably a long car ride home after that game.
2: <laughs> it, cer- it certainly was. And I definitely, I definitely, she had to watch me like my hands, like my hair, my hands over my face for like most of the overtimes as like they were, could have won. It didn't when they had a penalty shot in that game and missed it. It was just, yeah, the, it was, it was painful being a Caps fan for that long but it was worth it at the end it was a great moment So you said you've been to a bunch of memorable
3: games obviously so what has been probably the best or the most memorable sports event that you've been able to attend in
2: person? Uh, pretty easy actually for this one um, for work purposes not for my own fandom purposes but the I got to go to the 1999 baseball all star game in Boston for work we did a special um, why we did a special when the only Tiger that went was Brad Ausmus that year I don't know why but they sent us and it was great um, but that was a, a famous game where uh, Ted Williams was still alive and they wheeled him out to throw out the first pitch and he got it was it's a famous shot of him in a wheelchair being put, you know uh, pushed on there it was the year after the uh, home run Mark McGuire Sammy Sosa stuff so those guys were still big before we found out they were you know Using help and uh, and and you know and I got to see you know Cal Ripken who was my favorite player you know as a kid he, he was still around and, and, and that atmosphere of being able to be there and then sit in Fenway Park which obviously you know was amazing was uh, was very cool to cover.
1: Yeah, so we understand you're a Capitals fan and you're a University of Maryland alum. So did did you like Baltimore sports like baseball? and football, did you, you always like the Ravens or the Redskins? Which
2: one? Yeah, so I grew up in uh, in Gaithersburg, Maryland, which is a suburb of D.C. So, um, I was a D.C. sports fan, but there was no baseball team, there were no nationals when I was a kid, so we just hopped on the Orioles uh, at that point. Plus, when I was nine, the Orioles won the World Series, so everyone was, you know, Orioles, crazy. Uh, my dad tried to make me a Yankees fan, because he's a huge Yankees fan, but, uh, I resisted, and uh, even though I might have had more championships, uh, I'm glad because no one wants to be a Yankees fan. Um, but uh, but um, so yeah, so all DC. Um, I like the you know the Ravens, and I, there's no like animosity as far as as far as my fandom with them. You know, I, I and I loved when the Nationals in the World Series. I'm not going to buy a hat of the Nationals because the Orioles have been my team forever. But um, But I was happy for them and rooted for them. I was very, you know, very thrilled uh, that obviously DC won another championship after the caps. And then before that, it was like, you know, 25 years since since they had won one before then.
3: So what do you think has been your most memorable moment of being a producer and covering sports?
2: (sighs) Well, I was, you know, now it's kind of tough. Here, um, I mean, I love working here in Michigan. You know, obviously, 21 years of being here, it's great, and, I, and I've come to, you know, uh, you know, root for the teams here, at, at, you know, not the expense of, you know, my teams, but but uh, and and being able to cover. You know, when I first got here, you know, not only did I get to go to that All Star game, you know, Michigan State won the national title in 2000. I was there uh, in Indy for that, covering that. so That was cool. Um, you know, I got to cover. Um, the uh i was at game 6 and 7 of the 2005 NBA finals in San Antonio and the pistons were trying to go back to back so I got to be there for Game Six, which they won, and Game Seven, which they did not. Um, and so, you know, that was wild. I got to go to a Daytona 500. I'm not a big NASCAR guy, but if you're going to go to a race, that was the one to go to. So that was kind of cool. Uh, Tiger Spring Training, um, I went to once. They don't really travel the producers anymore like they used to, uh, just because of the the technology has gotten to the point where they don't need an extra body. Uh, so that's kind of a bummer sometimes. Um, for me but uh but I got to do a lot of cool stuff while they were sending uh sending me so I, I look back and say that you know I was fortunate enough to cover teams that went you know I was I went to the uh, the O2 uh, to Carolina when the Wings won the Stanley Cup um they didn't win it in Carolina they will, but uh, I went to a couple road games there the uh triple overtime Igor Larionov uh goal in that series uh I was there for that um we were up real late I think I had my first energy drink that night, I like to remember. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and so it's, it's very cool, and the, and the teams were successful. You know, it's kind of a bummer that recently, other than the college teams, you know, it, it, for the last few years, it's kind of, it's been rough. Yeah, so you are traveling all over covering
3: Detroit sports. So did you ever find yourself becoming a little bit of a fan for Detroit sports, even growing up in the uh, Baltimore, Maryland area, D.C.?
2: Yeah, uh, you know, I do. I, I I there's you know, I think it for me it's a little different with when you're in the media too, because you you know, you, you see some things that fans don't see, you kinda you know, but that can be good and bad, whereas there have been teams that I've really liked and rooted for because of the players there and the way that we're treated. You know, as as media, um, and then there have been some times where it's kind of like you know they're making it hard for us, or there's some kind of jerks on a team or something like that, where they're kind of you know I'm kind of like ugh. So so you kind of think, well, if they lost, it wouldn't be the worst thing, you know. So it's kind of it kind of goes in cycles. But there have been many times. I mean, you know, if we're there and and the Pistons are playing Game Seven, yeah, you want them to win. You know, it's a, it's an exciting thing to cover a championship. You know, covering a parade is is not the most fun thing in the world, but. But, uh, but the championships and all that stuff. And I love doing music uh, music pieces, you know, music sports pieces I could put together. It's one of my favorite things to do. So when teams are successful, I get to do more of that. So I like that.
1: Yeah. Um, I assumed you were rooting for the Lions in the 2014 wildcard game against the Cowboys because obviously Redskins and Cowboys, obviously not. That
2: for sure. Yeah. I mean – Ugh, and I mean, yeah, they and, and I I can't remember a team getting robbed and me being that upset about it. That wasn't my team, but that wasn't that was a day where we were just we just couldn't believe that they got they got hosed on that one and uh, and you know should have won that game.
1: Yeah, that was kind of the evolution of the picking up the flag kind of rule in the NFL. So I don't know. It's just always the Lions when we're a part of that. And it, of course, goes against our way. But obviously, with the recent pandemic, who have been some of the best people you've talked to on Zoom or Google Meet? Uh,
2: well, I mean, me personally, I've, I've just been kind of putting this stuff together. The, the reporters have been doing all of the interviews. Um, but, I mean, we've gotten, you know, uh, a lot of athletes um, – let me see if I have my list here Because it's like It starts to blur You know Like every day I'm sure with you guys And stuff it, You know it's, Everything starts to blur I'm like wait What did we do there What did we You know Not do um, I mean we did You know We talked to Trey Flowers last week uh, We've done um, We've done You know A couple Red Wings uh, You know Dylan Larkin And, and Abdel Cater uh, uh, Jennifer uh, Hammond Talked to um, Talked to uh, Who else she- Kind of blanking on it, a lot of stuff um, She talked to Rick Anderson The Tigers pitching coach um, The other day um, uh, Nico Goodrum She spoke to She spoke to Matt Boyd She spoke to um, Some other And then, we'll, And then like When we did our draft special Last week You know we got to do A draft special Which was fantastic and fun Because it was the first time In a long time That we had like a uh you know some some stress some last minute get some stuff on the air because that's uh, to me i love that that's fun stuff you know where it's you know it's 10 30 and someone scores a goal or hits a home run or something you got to get the highlight on in five minutes and you're rushing to get it on and you write a script and you get it on and they get it on tv and you're like yes i got it you know with no games that kind of that's taken away so the draft special we got to do that we got to talk to um you know matt patricia um Right after the the pick, Dan uh, Dan Miller did, and I got the Zoom, and I had to edit it all together and send that in in time for our show to start. And we got the interview with uh, Jeff Okuda from the Lions because we have a good relationship with them because we show the preseason games and everything, so we have a partnership. And they sent us an interview that they did that we could, so we kind of edited that up, added that. Lots of that kind of stuff was really fun to do, uh, you know, when we're doing those kind of specials.
0: Speaking of the draft, how do you think the first like virtual NFL draft went?
2: I thought it went fantastic. I loved it. I, I I mean, kudos to all of those guys that put that together because, you know, they they had some fun goofy stuff, you know, where you're kinda looking at all the coaches and GM's homes and you're checking them out the backgrounds, you're saying, oh, you know what, how nice is that house or how all that um, you know, and making fun of you know Roger Goodell and his you know thirty outfits and his his easy reclining in his chair and eating his M and M's and stuff. Um, but they did such a good job of getting all the technology ready, and and there were very very few glitches, if any, where they they got the pics in. You could see the reactions from the guys in their homes, and I loved that even more than them walking up and giving a hug and taking a picture. I mean, seeing a lot of that stuff like the. Um, Okora with the Lions, you know when you have when you have your brother getting drafted to the team you're on and you're there and you can see him on the phone and you can see him say, well, you know we're going to be roommates and you get a good moment like that. If he's in the building and he's shaking a hand, you know you don't get to see cool stuff like that. So I love that. I think you might see a little bit more of that kind of thing in the future. Um, obviously, they're going to go back to the the pomp and circumstance in next year in Cleveland and they'll be walking down red carpets and all that. But I th- hopefully they, they take some of the things from that made this year special and kind of use that too.
1: Yeah, a lot of people are saying that everyone kind of likes being behind the scenes in coaches and GM's homes and players' homes. But we did a podcast discussing the picks for the Detroit Lions in the 2020 draft. And what do you think about the Detroit 2020 draft?
2: Uh, I think the Lions did a good job, um, but I've gone, I've lived through many a Lions draft, and you just don't know. You just, you know, all you have to do is look at all of those Matt Millen years. They would get A's and B pluses for their drafts, and the and it was awful. So you know, they seem to fill the needs that they, you know, that they that they need to fill. Um, it just, it just comes down to how good these guys are, and you just don't know until they're in the system that they're in and if they can adjust and if the coaching staff will kind of, you know, how they're going to handle each guy. Um, you know, Okuda looks like a great player, and, and that's, that's a good start, um, you know, and they needed to get a running back because they're running back, you know, even though I, I'm partial to my man Ty Johnson from Maryland. Um, and didn't think he was given enough chances, uh, to, to, but you know, you, you need the injuries, tons of, you know, when you're running both Scarborough and these other guys out off the street at the end of the year, you know, you need some depth. So I think they did a a good job. They got some offensive line depth and hopefully the guys they signed in free agency on defense, uh, help because they didn't get a whole lot of, a whole lot of defensive help uh, outside of Okwara in the draft. Yeah, me personally, I really like the Jeff Okuda
3: pick. I think that's going to be a great replacement for Darius Slay, who they just traded. But I just He's no wanna... Chase Young, though. He's no Chase Young. So. No, not at all, which is kind of sad that we couldn't get that number two pick. But at least we got a high pick from Tanky this year. But So how do you think uh, the coronavirus pandemic will uh, change sports in the future? Well, I think it's definitely
2: changing sports in the next probably year to two in a huge way, where you're going to see far less fans. You're going to, you know, all of the seasons, whether they get to them or not, are going to be kind of skewed and messed up. You know, as far as if they if they start, if they start, you know, to try to end these hockey or basketball seasons in June, July, or whatever, they're pushing the next season off. I don't know what how the the NFL is going to go. You just don't know because there's no real answer to this to this pandemic and, and when it's going to be safe and when they're going to have enough tests to test all the athletes, because, you know, you start playing again and then one athlete comes down with it in, in a locker room, you you might be done, you know, because if everyone's exposed and everyone's got to sit for two weeks and, you know, and in isolation. So it's like, it, it's going to be very tricky. Uh, to do that, and then and as, far as fans go, you know, you know, personally, you know, I, I have a, a medical condition where I take uh, a medication where I'm of uh, uh, a suppressed immune system, so it's not like major, but it's but it's enough where I have no interest in going to a stadium full of people anytime soon. Me personally, and a lot of people have, you know, are going to be, you know, uh, scared to do that, <clears throat> you know, until there's an absolute. Uh, you know, way to treat this or an absolute, uh, vaccine where people can take. And then they, you know, they feel, they feel it's safe because, you know, again, it's not as simple as, Oh, you know, I think I won't get sick. It's what, you know, it may not affect me. Maybe it doesn't affect me, but then I, you know, go visit my parents and, you know, who are 70. And so it's like, you know, you just, and the, until they understand more, I think the next couple of years are going to be very tough to, to get through, but hopefully they find a way. I'm hopeful.
0: I know you said you don't really know, but obviously you probably know a little bit about what some of the teams are starting to like get practice and maybe the sports coming back. So if you had to make a prediction for sports like baseball or football starting, do you have any idea if that's gonna happen?
2: I think it's very, very hard to predict. Um, you know, I i, I it, you know, I would only just be me. I don't I don't know any Inside information, other than some of the things I'm reading, that you know the leagues are trying to come up with these ideas of playing, you know, like the hockey idea where they'll they'll take these each division and play them in in one spot, you know, in the country, and then whittle it down a playoff type of thing. But <clears throat> until they have enough tests, you know, they still you know, and I don't know, I don't know the the political situations with the tests and everything. But until they have enough tests for the main population they're not going to have all these tests for the sports you know population and then you need to test them all you know constantly in order to and they have to be quick tests it can't be a test you take and then a week later you find out it's got to be one of those like you know half hour tests that they can keep everybody safe and if they do then you know the players are going to want to do it because the players aren't going to want to do it their associations their unions aren't going to let their players just walk in and start playing if they feel like they're going to play and then come home to their children or you know or parents or you know friends whatever and and could have something so it's just so hard but you know Auto racing is starting up again you know, Later this month Which which is Which you know Again I'm not a huge The biggest uh, auto racing fan But it's something And golf is going to start in June Which is you know Something So you know If they can start doing that and, and and try Maybe getting hockey teams to practice Try getting NBA teams to practice It could be You know Mid to late summer When we could start seeing Some of this stuff But I just you know just don't know
3: When you were on your Zoom calls with uh, some of the professional athletes from Detroit, like Dylan Larkin you mentioned, and uh, Nico Goodrum I believe you mentioned too, do they have any idea when they think they might be coming back or do they have no clue or just as much of an idea as us?
2: Yeah, when the questions were asked to them about that, um, and and some of those were done like two weeks ago, you know things change so much in one week. But you know, a couple of weeks ago when they're asked, they just kind of say, you know, we've been they they have Zoom meetings with their coaches, I think with their teams every maybe once a week or something like that. Most of them have said something along those lines, and so you know, I think they're just they're just told stay in shape, you know, uh, and, and as best they can. There, I think they're given some some drills maybe that they can do at home or some things they can do at home and then just kind of wait and see. I mean, they might be getting some inside inside information they won't share with us that says, you know, we're thinking about this specific date. But um, I think that it's still so hard to figure out the, the logistics of doing something like that that uh, I haven't really heard anything specific.
1: Yeah, moving forward in the future for your job, how does this affect – mention how it affects now but how could it affect how there's very little fans or even seasons could get delayed how does it affect you
2: uh well i mean it certainly you know certainly does you know this week uh of of covering things was a little more difficult than the previous weeks because we had the draft and looking ahead to the draft and then the draft week and everything and now it's kind of like okay what's next now we're kind of harping on basically the questions that you've just asked us you know asked me what what are we going to you know when are we going to see sports when are they going to start trying these things and and continuing to try to talk to people about that um once they do play again with you know likely with no fans for at least a little while i'm assuming they'll still let media in to do interviews, they might do an interview where like they did in the last couple of weeks before they shut everything down, they stopped having uh, us go into the locker room with microphones, you know, they just had them come to a podium, and then the people were kind of, you know, spaced out in chairs uh, in a room, uh, and then you, you know, you, you basically plug the microphone into a uh, kind of a suitcase box thing, and then that, that you get your and there you go, and then you film them. And I think that'll be what they'll be doing for the near for the near future once they start playing again is you can get the media there to get some post-game coverage. The games will be on television, so we'll do our same highlights. We'll do our same discussion on the teams. You know, So I don't think once they start playing again, I think we're going back to as close to normal as possible outside of the strangeness of having the games played with no fans there.
1: Yeah, kind of moving on from the pandemic, what was the most – or best uplifting sports story you've ever covered.
2: Outside of the Capitals winning the Stanley Cup, um, <laughs> uplifting. Oh, man, that's a tough one. I'm trying to think,
3: or maybe even like some of the most emotional sports stories you've ever covered.
2: Yeah, I loved. I mean, I loved uh, covering when the Tigers, when the Tigers. Went to the World Series in 06, I think it was very cool because, you know, they had waited a long time to have a competitive team. And even though the Detroit fans at that point had had the Stanley Cups, you know, they're about to have another Stanley Cup and they had had the Pistons a couple of years earlier. You know, they're true baseball fans. And I and there seems to be, you know, the, 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 the history here. You know, I still think. You know, if the Lions ever won anything, this town would go absolute, you know, crazy. But, um, but the Tigers, the the history with the Tigers, the history with, you know, the people who remember 1984, the people who remember nineteen sixty eight, and the riots that came the year before that, and and you know, and all that. That there's like a, a – a, I guess a love affair with the Tigers here that. Really was cool when they were making that run in 06 and you know when they hit the home run that got them to the World Series, and you know I remember just the the unbridled excitement was was so cool to be around uh, with them. And we get you know, and then we got to do opening days, and opening days are always so fun to do because we do you know I do a two and a half hour uh, pregame kind of show on every opening day. Um, that's that's very fun and exhausting to do, but fun. That that just kind of it. it this area is wild for, you know, baseball and spring and everything. I, I, I like that. I think that's one of the, the best moments.
0: So, considering Detroit is probably one of the relatively mid sized markets for sports, what would you say makes Detroit a good sports market and a good sports city?
2: I would disagree slightly with you because I wouldn't call it mid-sized. I would call it one of the best sports markets um, that is that is around. I mean, I have you know people asked me over the years. You know, I first came here in nineteen ninety nine, and and I was like, yeah, I'll go to you know Detroit for a little bit, and I'll you know, and then I'll come back to DC or whatever. And you know, obviously that didn't happen, and I'm glad it didn't happen. You know, I love Washington D.C. For example, and but so many transplants, people from all sorts of different places. You know, there there are hardcore fans, but it's not like all encompassing. And here, it's I felt. I mean, most people who live here are from here originally, and so the fan base is wild crazy for their sports. And you not only have your four major sports. Um, but you have the colleges, you know, you Michigan and Michigan State, where you have the rabid, you know, passionate fan bases uh, that both can be very annoying at times um, and wonderful at times, too. But, you know, but the, the back and forth with the Michigan and Michigan State fans is, is so cool. And so having all that within like an hour of, e- of, of each other has been very cool. I think I think that's one of the reasons why this is one of the best uh, sports towns uh, in the country.
3: Yeah, just the rich history behind uh, Detroit and the sports history that goes way back into early 1900s. I mean, they've always been that consistent sports team, and this uh, city just has great fans in Detroit. And also, I believe it's kind of, they built a brand, I feel like, for all their sports team, the toughness mentality of yeah. the city itself in Detroit. The fans go with it, and also the players. So I think that really helped during, like, the bad boys. I think it really, like, started to pick up right there. And it showed a little bit in the 0-4 championship team, the Pistons, we oh, yeah. 5
2: yeah, there's a blue collar mentality and a and a kind of chip on your shoulder mentality from the fans that that really makes the excitement build and the passion for the the sports teams build because that you know Detroit versus everybody and they don't get enough respect and all this stuff you know and last week with the you know, with the Jordan documentary and all of the shaking the hand stuff and and everyone's you know picking on Isaiah and then all that and then all the Detroit fans are. Going right back at him. Was like you don't know Isaiah. And I love that. That the passion, the back and the forth, it is is so cool. And and that's yeah, one of the reasons I, I love you know being here and covering this this town.
1: Yeah, you mentioned the uh, the all great sports teams and how the fans are all from Michigan, so kind of desperate for success, but even the Rock and Mortis classic that happens in the summer, all Detroit Golf fans, you never really get a golf tournament in Michigan, let alone. And I, I know that that tournament has a lot of fans. I don't know if you've covered that.
2: Yeah, we. Co- I mean, we covered it last year. I didn't get to go personally to to the course, but um, we covered it. You know, leading up to and the whole weekend. And yeah, I mean, golf too. You know, uh, you know, we had the Buick Open uh you know, for a long time in Warwick Hills, you know, I remember going up there and, and covering that and Tiger Woods came, you know, a handful of times and you got to say, Oh look, there's Tiger Woods and, and, and all that and it was you know it's very neat. But that yeah it's another thing. It's like you have your your blue collar hardcore fans and you have your you know your golf fans and even the people, you know, again, you go back to auto racing who go to MIS and go see the the you know there's a there's a hardcore you know we always you know one of the most important things I learned uh, when I'm you know when I'm writing and stuff is I gotta know about even if it's not my favorite sport I gotta know about every sport because I'm writing a script for somebody and you know I know that NASCAR guy is gonna call or email or do something if we say something wrong or we're not you know, we don't know what we're talking about with the, with, when we're talking about auto racing. So, you know, I did my research. I run it by a guy who I work with um, who was a big NASCAR guy. And I say, you know, I'm writing this. Is this right? You know, because I don't know much about cars and stuff. You know, if I say blown engine, I don't know. If that. You know, is that right? Is that wrong? Was it? Oh, yeah. And he helps us out. So, you know, it doesn't have to be all the top sports. It's also, you know, racing and golf and, and, and all that stuff, too.
3: Yeah, there are definitely a lot of great uh, sports opportunities and events in uh, the city. But just to wrap it up, we really want to thank you so much for joining us, Greg. We really appreciate it. And before we finish, is there anything you would like to plug in about your work or where listeners can
2: find you? Um, you know what? I just watch Fox 2. I'm very lucky to, to actually wa- uh, work for a great station that uh has been very supportive of us as a sports department and we've been a team that's been together for you know 20 years and they're all great people and you know and we're happy to be able to you know do what we do and so you know we're uh we're thrilled to cover the sports around here and uh, hope to do so uh, soon and hopefully they get back to playing soon.
0: Yeah, once again, we'd like to thank Greg for joining us. And as always, we'd like to thank our listeners for listening to this podcast. And we'll see you next time on the Last Take Sports Podcast.